Welcome to the latest edition of our Fixed Interest podcast series. My name's Ed Parker. I'm the Head of Sovereign Research at Fitch Ratings. I'm joined today by Brian Coulton, Fitch's Chief Economist and Lead Author of the latest edition of our Global Economic Outlook. Brian, perhaps you can kick off the discussion by talking us through the main messages from your latest forecasts. We can then drill down into some of these in a bit more detail, particularly the outlook for rates, which is a key focus of this GEO. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Um, we've become a little bit less pessimistic about the outlook for world growth. Uh, the global economy has been holding up better than we expected in 2023. We actually saw a small increase in global growth this year. And as we put together our forecast for next year, while we're still expecting a pretty sharp slowdown, we're no longer anticipating an outright recession in the US. We do still see things slowing pretty sharply there because of the lagged impact of monetary policy tightening. And we're also really in a scenario of pretty much what can be described as stagnation in the Eurozone, only going to see a very shallow recovery there from basically no growth over the last 12 months in the, in the Eurozone. And at the same time, the Chinese property market has yet to show signs of stabilizing. So all those factors are behind a, a significant slowdown in world growth to 2.1% next year from an estimated 29 this year. But that is a slightly slightly better forecast than, than we had in September. What does go with this slightly more positive or, or less less negative world growth view though, is that we do believe that interest rates are not coming down anywhere near as fast as the financial markets are currently pricing in. So let's start with the US growth outlook. It seems it keeps on confounding doubters with its resilience. He said you're no longer forecasting a recession, but are still expecting a sharp slowdown. So can you walk us through your latest thinking there? So we've been looking into this pretty closely, you know, what, what's been driving this surprising resilience of US demand. And we think one of the big factors has been a renewed easing of fiscal policy. Uh, depending on how you look at it, you can argue that US fiscal policy has probably been eased by about 2% of GDP this year. That's a pretty big fiscal impulse. And it's been done in ways that have quite high multipliers. So we're seeing in the national accounts, government spending, government consumption and investment spending up 4.7% year on year. Uh, in the third quarter, that's added one percentage point to overall GDP growth of three percentage points. So a third of the growth explained by d- direct government spending. We're also seeing declining tax payments by households and measures of, say, measures of, of the cyclically adjusted fiscal deficit, excluding interest payments, widening pretty sharply. So that's been a pretty important factor. The U.S. household sector continues to be willing to draw down pandemic savings in a way that we're not seeing in the eurozone or the UK, and we've actually revised up our estimates of the remaining cushion of pandemic savings. And broader point here is that private sector finance is in pretty pretty decent shape as we went into the tightening with record private sector financial surpluses in 2021 uh, as, the, as, as the government supported household and corporate incomes very aggressively with these, with these stimulus measures. And one aspect of that is allow the private sector to build up large stocks of liquid assets, which we've seen that in the household sector, but also in the corporate sector, um, what's been going on in the corporate sector, I think, has been the feed-through of higher interest rates to higher debt service costs is happening, but it's being offset by higher interest income because corporates are sitting on record levels of liquid assets, and those assets are now yielding something like the policy rate. So that's been kind of neutralizing some of the impact of monetary tightening, and at the same time, we're seeing a pretty slow feed-through from higher policy rates and higher rates on new mortgage new mortgage borrowing to the overall effective interest rate on the household sector. So only a very slow increase in the household debt service ratio. Nevertheless, we have clearly seen a sharp slowdown in credit. We've seen the profit cycle turn down. There's lots of forward indicators of business investment that are pretty 
pretty weak and we do expect household income growth to slow as the labor market calls and wage inflation comes off so for all those reasons we're expecting u.s growth to slow to 1.2 percent next year down from about two and a half percent this year and we don't think the recovery in 2025 is going to be very strong either we've got a a below trend expansion of about 1.4 in 2025 so now what we're looking at is two years of well below trend growth not a recession but well below trend growth as opposed to a sharper slowdown and a stronger rebound in 25 in the previous forecast. Let's turn to China then. You remarked that the property sector is yet to stabilise. So what's your baseline forecast for growth and how plausible is a downside scenario of substantially weaker growth if the property sector fails to stabilise or keeps on slumping? Yeah, the baseline view is that is that property sales and starts sort of uh, broadly stabilise in 2024. So we we might see small single-digit declines, but but nothing like the 2025, 20, 30% declines we've, we're seeing uh, at the moment and have been seeing for the last couple of years. Policy is certainly orientating itself much more to supporting growth. We're seeing pickup in, in local government bond issuance, for instance, and a slight pickup in credit growth. So the assumption is that policy does enough to sort of stabilise growth in that four and a half to 5% range, which you think the authorities would find would find tolerable. However, I have to say, uh, this is somewhat uncharted territory for China that I'm seeing right now, because they've been easing policy for quite some time. And particularly since August, they've really sort of changed their approach to the property sector, so trying to encourage a recovery in demand. And it's just not happening at this point. And I think this does raise some questions about the efficacy of the policy easing. I think part of the problem here is that households have just lost confidence, the, the, the likelihood of property developers delivering on projects. And so they're no longer prepared uh, to stump up their own savings, borrow a mortgage from the bank and put put that cash together and give it to a developer to buy off plan, which is basically how the, the housing market worked. 80 to 90% of housing sales pre-crisis were pre-sales. That model just doesn't seem to be working. They don't seem to be able to turn confidence around there because so many properties, property developers have gone, have gone bust. And of course, that decline in sales is uh, feeding back through to the stress faced by property developers. So the dynamics here are really quite vicious uh, and they're struggling at this point to stabilise it. Until they do so, I think there's going to be a very significant downside risk to our forecast. We published a scenario piece a few weeks ago where we looked at growth falling below 2% in 2024. And I think that is quite a realistic possibility. Moving on to the fight against inflation, We've seen some quite sharp reductions in headline rates in the US and the Eurozone in recent months. So how do you assess the progress and, and risks? Is the battle won? The decline in headline inflation was already expected anyway. I mean, that was already in our forecasts. We've seen the, the year-on-year decline in energy prices has knocked about two percentage points off of inflation in the in the Eurozone in the UK, for instance, slightly less than 1% uh, in, in the US. Um, so I don't think that, that headline decline is a thing to focus on. Where we have seen uh, slightly better than expected news, though, is on core inflation. That has come down a little bit, a little bit faster. One of the things that's going on there is this uh, easing of global supply chain constraints, which is now pretty much uh, fully embedded, and that uh, has been a big factor in stabilising goods prices, excluding energy. We've seen that globally. Uh, that's been a pretty important factor. That basically prices, commodity prices, ex energy are, are pretty much flat now. What we've also seen in some countries is services inflation come down particularly in the Eurozone, but that hasn't happened yet in the US uh, or the or the UK to a significant enough extent, uh, we think, to, to make the Fed prepared to start cutting rates soon. I think 
services inflation is still running around five and a half percent. The figures for November didn't show much improvement there at all. Actually, a slight uptick in the month-on-month U.S. Uh, services CPI inflation, and that in turn is linked to the ongoing tightness of the labour market. So I think in the U.S., I would say there's there's less positive progress on getting core inflation down than we've seen in the eurozone. In the eurozone, the recent numbers have really been quite good. As services come down quite a lot, wage growth really really coming off sharply, and of course it, it never never peaked at such a high level anyway. So more positive news on the services side in the, in the eurozone, but that's proving a lot more sticky in the US uh, and indeed the UK. So given your views on inflation, what are your latest projections for central bank policy rates in the US and eurozone? Are we now at the peak? And it seems that some in the markets are expecting quite rapid rate cuts next year. Where do you stand? I think we are pretty close uh, to the peaks, uh, but I think the scale of the descent uh, on the other side of that is going to be much shallower, much slower than the very rapid increases that we saw uh, from the early part of 2022. I think, in fact, the Fed is probably going to maintain a tightening bias into the first quarter, given the recent decline in unemployment, recent uptick in some of the wage measures, those wage measures uh, just running at rates that are a lot higher than consistent with with inflation target. The news on the economy has been, has been positive. I think they're worried about growth remaining above trends. So, I think that tightening bias will continue in, into the first quarter. Now, this is a very close call, but we, we've actually penciled in another rate hike in January uh, in our forecast. Uh, but we then think the Fed will wait for about six months and will start cutting rate uh, in, in July. They've got a meeting on July 31st. I think that will be the first rate cut, and we'll think they'll cut four times, including at that meeting. So that'll bring the rate back down to 4.75% by the end of next year. That's a less aggressive easing than the, the market is pricing in. The Eurozone, though, it's a slightly different picture. We have brought forward the date at which we see the ECB starting to cut rates. We now think that they will start to cut rates in uh, in April and cut them by 75 basis points by the by the end of the year, given that more positive news on inflation. But the Bank of England's going to be on hold, we think, until August. Finally, we've seen a lot of volatility in government bond yields over recent months. It seems as this has been driven by not only a reassessment of the path of policy rates, but also real interest rates. That's important for the higher for longer debate. So what's your view on where yields on 10-year US Treasuries will settle over the medium term? Yeah, so if you've been following the market the last six months, you wouldn't have any idea where rates are going because it's been it's been all over the shop. We had rates above 5% briefly uh, in, in September. Uh, and then recently, they've been, they've been trading down in the in the low fours again. So, it's, as you say, it's been it's been hugely volatile. I do think part of the reason rates have come down more recently is is these over optimistic expectations of how quickly the Fed is going to cut rates. I think there's a vulnerability there. We actually think rates are going to probably going to going to move back up to about four and a half percent quite quite quickly on the ten year as as that interest rate view that Fed funds futures view aligns with aligns with what we think the Fed has got to be doing. I also think, though, that when we look at what's happened over the last four, five, six months in the U.S. Treasury market, I think two factors to, to focus on. One, one real rates have gone up. A lot of the increases has been in the in the tips yield, the Treasury Inflation Protected Securities yield. That's been the main driver of, of the increase since the first half of the year. It's not been about long-term inflation expectations. And the other thing that's happened is the term premiums increased. And I think that latter development is probably telling us that the market is starting to get a bit concerned about supply. And we've seen some big upward revisions to the fiscal deficit, as I've been discussing, and the, and the amount of Treasury supply that's going to be hitting the market. And this is in the context of the Fed continuing to do QT. So I think those supply issues would suggest that we're probably going to be stuck with a positive term premium going forward. So if we think 
about where interest rates are going to settle in the medium term when this sort of cyclical dynamics are, are, are out of the way. You know, I still think we need to be factoring in positive real policy rate of, you know, maybe in the in the sort of 1% region, slightly less than um, the, the potential growth, one to one and a quarter percent. So that would give you a equilibrium nominal Fed funds rate, three, three and three, three and a half, that's that sort of range. And then you need to add term premium, maybe 50 basis points on top of that. So something like 4%, I think is, is where we will settle, which would be much higher than we've been since the GFC. So we don't see rates going back down again to pre-pandemic levels. Thanks, Brian, for those great insights. And thank you, everyone, for listening. For more on Fitch's economic projections, you can access the report we've been discussing titled Global Economic Outlook December 2023, along with our other sovereign economic research on Fitch's website, fitchratings.com. We hope you join us for the next edition of Fixed Interests.